0: What we've got here is failure to
1: communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality.
0: Our culture is so wrapped up in what women should and shouldn't look like, move like, dress-like, act-like, laugh-like, argue-like, it's not fair, it's not right, and I feel like for my whole life I've kind of had, of course I've had moments where I'm more swayed by other people, but it doesn't get you anywhere, it for sure does not get you anywhere.
2: Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm Kashia Rosenberg. And I'm Asha Gabriel. And together we run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. That clip was from today's guest of the show, fashion designer, Rachel Pally. We are so excited to dig into this episode because we just go deep with Rachel where we discuss progress over perfection, fostering creativity, and trusting your gut. With that, let's dive in.
1: Today on the Meet Bridget Show, we're thrilled to introduce Rachel Pally. Rachel is a native Angelino. She lives in LA with her creative director and designer husband, Kevin. Her two adorable boys, Tao, who's almost eight, and Luca, who's four and a half, and her new puppy, Lila. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Uh, Rachel's the brain and soul behind the LA-based sustainable cult favorite Rachel Pally fashion brand and her mission is to dress women of all shapes and sizes and stages of life and to make them feel beautiful and empowered i can personally attest to her commitment to this cause as i first modeled for rachel pally um, in a lookbook when i was still a teenager and then recently had the pleasure of modeling for her maternity line as well rachel also spoke on the panel of our teen mom summit event and inspired the whole room with her story as she's evolved as a woman, businesswoman and mother, so has her brand. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel.
0: Thank you for having me and thank you for that beautiful introduction. Well,
1: it's the least I could fit into a little blurb, but I'm so excited for us to dive in and just share more about you. You're such you're such an inspiration and I I love how your brand really is a it's like this extension of you in such a unique and beautiful way. So, thank you. Yeah. So well, we're so excited happy. I know I'm like, where do we even start? You really want to focus on your younger years, and we think it's so interesting how you know people sometimes it's like your childhood can look totally different from the way that you ended up and your path informed things that way, or sometimes there's those little threads that were there from the very beginning. So can you tell us a little bit about what you were like as a really little kid? Like what was the first thing that you told your parents you wanted to be?
0: Oh, I don't know. Ballerina? (laughs) I don't remember. But I do come from a very creative family. Uh, We don't have any useful members of our family, like doctors or lawyers or people who could like help with our usual day-to-day. But we do have a lot of artists and creatives. And so the fact that I ended up in a creative field was not only encouraged, but I saw it around me all the time. So um, making choices that were supporting a creative life was just kind of ingrained from the beginning for me. I don't I don't remember what I wanted to be, which is such a funny thing because I feel like I know what my boys want to be. i d I'm not I'm not sure, but I do know that the creative part has just been part of my life since the very beginning. My brother is a curator of architecture and design, but he went to art school and to architecture school and my parents Both have my, my dad's a musician and my mom has an art degree and also a film degree and, and they don't, they work with early child development. Now they're retired, but in growing up, there was always creativity and always art involved, but also business.
1: So they work together, right? I read that in the, in the beginning, they were running a business together. So you grew up kind of watching them run for themselves and be their own boss in a way too, right?
0: Work their butts off for something that was meaningful to them. Um, they owned the Valley, the San Fernando Valley franchises of Gymboree, which is a play program. Yeah, I love it. I've been looking into that. I'm like, we're a little, <laughs> <laughs> but
1: I think
3: even.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was amazing and, and really beautiful to watch them and even the hard parts of running a business, but being able to have a flexible lifestyle where if my brother or I were sick, someone could pick us up from school or. We could take vacations at uh, adventures at weird times of year, so that, uh, or even taking the day off to go to a museum and not go to school. There were things that were available in my family that in many families isn't available because of more of a structured work environment. But because my parents worked for themselves and because they worked together, there was a lot of space for that. And so as a kid, all I knew about working parents was they could be home too and so growing up and then after college i just knew that i I had no idea what i wanted to do but i definitely wanted that flexibility which for a creative personality is kind of the only way to work for me whereas my brother is incredibly creative but he's an analytical more
2: i was gonna say
0: he has a much more um structured brain and for him, having his job be more structured works for him. Whereas, like for me, it just was like, well, it can't. I'm trying to remember the
1: first like lookbook shoot that we did. Was your brother helping with that? I think I remember like we shot it. I think in your house. But was he? Oh my god! I read that he helped. Uh,
0: Do you remember that one? I can't remember if that was him, but yes, I remember shooting with you in my house. And then I remember shooting with you at that beautiful building in Koreatown that was like Spanish, like an event space, and then shooting with you when you were pregnant at Great. the age.
2: I know those vision? pictures were so beautiful. Oh my god. So
3: beautiful. I was
2: I was just going to say it struck me as really interesting that you came from such a creative family. And I'm not sure how close in age you and your brother are, but it's a similar inspiration but two totally different types of design in my head. So
0: totally, totally. Are you um, are you
2: both close in age?
0: He's three and a half years younger than me, okay. but it is amazing. I, I notice it in so many ways. I like to do things fast and good enough.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, mm-hmm. been, it's worked for me because I feel like I'm proficient at a lot of things. And by not being a perfectionist, I can accomplish just so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like I my personal worth isn't tied up with things being perfect, mm-hmm. which allows me to be a little more adventurous with the things that I try. Whereas my brother does everything perfectly, is mm-hmm. incredibly analytical. He'll spend two weeks carving a wooden spoon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas like if it's not done in two hours, I'm I don't want to do it anymore.
2: <laughs> That would drive me crazy. That's kind of like my husband and I, whose name, by the way, is also Kevin. So yeah. I just I love that fact.
0: Yeah. those are good husbands. Yeah. Yes. Good husbands. He he I'm sure he would agree. Yeah. Yes. My husband, my Kevin would agree that he's a he's a very
2: good husband. I love it. So I know you said that you don't you can't think of what you first wanted to be when you grew up, that it was probably a ballerina. But did you have like hobbies or interests that you really love doing? Like what, what was like a 14 year old Rachel Pally? Like? Yeah, like the perfect day for 14 year old Rachel Pally.
3: Oh my God.
0: That was, that's freshman year of high school. I mean, I was seriously into dancing. So mm-hmm. I did, I kind of tapered off with my, for high school. I didn't, I danced very, not seriously. Cause not like I didn't do like competitive anything or mm-hmm. But it was a big part of my life. And then around 10th grade, ninth or 10th grade, I stopped dancing for a while. And I got very into it again in college. It was my minor in college. I danced every day. It was so important to my life. Um, but at 14, I don't know, like talking on the phone with a boy. I can't like, <laughs> I remember <laughs> vintage shopping with my girlfriends, dollar a pound at Jetrag on, on um, La Brea with whoever uh, had their driver's license at the time. Going and listening to bands play because at you know when you're young you can't go to so many adult places but there were there was such a big music scene actually my husband Kevin Mm -hmm. was in a band in high school that I went to go see at the Rocky and at the Whiskey we knew each other like. Our social circles were overlapping, so we knew each other. And we also grew up together when we were really young, so we we sort of knew each other. But recently I found at his parents' house like a guest book from a show he played at the Roxy oh, and God. I signed
2: it. Oh my gosh! Oh my God. That's amazing! like, Oh my God, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, and I feel like LA is one of the only places where that could have happened too, because it's, okay. there's just, it's such a big city. There's so much like you're native to the city. So it's just, I mean, what a, what an incredible experience. And then you guys get to dig up that memory together.
0: So funny. It's so funny. Yeah. We just, I remember doing a lot of, a lot of exploring mm. you know, in music, and I also play music.
1: Yeah, you played guitar growing up, right? Guitar.
0: Yeah, my dad taught me how to play guitar when I was really young. So Kevin, Kevin, and I do play together sometimes. He's like an actual musician, whereas I'm like I can play folk music, like how my dad does.
2: Love it. That's amazing. That's also really special to share with your with your dad, and then with your husband as well.
0: Totally, both. Both. My dad <laughs> doesn't play very much anymore because he has some. Pretty bad arthritis in his hands, so it it's been like a really important thing in my life to be able to play music with my dad yeah,
1: and to like continue yeah. that sort of melody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, to your life that's so beautiful. What was it like to be like a, a kid in L.A.? I mean, I came to L.A. for college, and it was such a culture shock for me coming from a small town. But I remember looking at the at the Angelino kids, and I'm like, God, you yeah. have this like swagger and everything. But I but I also thought. Like now being, being a new parent, I think about raising a kid down here in Southern California and it's like the access to everything is so big, yeah. There's so much more visibility for, I feel like young people, but also opportunities to kind of fall into the wrong things. Did you have any for sure. that- things? I think that,
0: well, I feel like you see it with big cities where kids can get too fast too early. Mm-hmm. But you also see that with small towns where there isn't enough stimulation, oh. where there's a lot of young drug use. There's a lot of early teen pregnancies. There's when there isn't a whole lot of other things to do. And I feel like my community, when I was a teenager, people were dabbling in trying, trying, you know, drinking and smoking pot, but it wasn't the same as it is somewhere where there's less going on. So there was a big music scene. There were parties we could go to. There was, um, There's just so much nature, hiking, beaches, like surfing. There's just so much here that if you look for it, and I think that also just depends on your group of friends and whether a lot of it depends on the way people are raising their kids, you know, being able to give. I mean, my kids are only, they're young, but thinking about having teenagers and wanting to give restrictions, but also give them a lot of freedom so that they're making the right decisions. And you're empowering young people to make decisions that are safe and smart. And you can't do that if you're making all the decisions for them. And when I started college, my roommate, my freshman year, I went to Berkeley and my freshman year roommate was one of seven girls who was raised in a very religious Catholic household, went to an all girls school and by the end of her first week of college, had gotten a tattoo, a piercing, shaved her head, had sex, Ugh. tried drugs, and was like passed out drunk because she had never, she didn't know how to take normal steps into the world. She only knew it's nothing's allowed, and like I better just try it all at the same yeah. time. And it was too intense, and it burned her out really fast. Oh, and I think. Being able to live in a city where there's accessibility to some, you know, to pushing your limits a little bit without having to
2: go overboard.
0: Overboard, I think, is a much easier way. Well, I think that's the healthy way to to do life is to not
2: overdo it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: variety and a little bit of everything.
2: (laughs) I think too, when you have when you come from such a creative family and when you have a creative brain, I think that that method of thinking is a little bit more encouraged too, because you get to see like this big picture. It doesn't all have to be so, you know, like, not that there's anything wrong with religion, but when you take it to a certain extreme and it's like, everything needs to fit inside this box. Yeah, so I mean, really it's
0: detrimental. It really, so. having too many restrictions and not knowing how to explore
2: yeah. Or self-regulate too. Mm-hmm. I think you made a really good point of being able to teach your children how to make choices on their own while guiding them. Yeah. So did you always have that sensibility? Like, do you feel so like I'm you- i in were- a ton of trouble. I don't want <laughs> to imply that. I mean, my parents gave me
0: space, but they also set pretty strong boundaries. So I did get into a lot of trouble. I had a hard time in school because I was a straight A student, but I didn't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very strong personality, which can be my greatest to my greatest benefit, and it can also be to my greatest detriment. And having power struggles with teachers in high school was very challenging for me. I mm-hmm. thought I was smarter, and I was smarter than some of my teachers. And there's something really kind of wrong about that yeah. for LAUSD,
3: mm-hmm.
0: for me to feel like I could walk into a classroom and feel like I couldn't learn anything there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of students who are still feeling that. And then I had some incredible, incredible teachers who forced me to do deep thinking. Mm -hmm. But I did have challenges with that. And I was not an easy teenager. And I did have conflict with my parents. And I did have conflict at school. And I got great grades. And I was incredibly involved in – I started – A feminist club at school. I was involved in journalism. I was involved with dance. I did a a lot of social justice work, but I was also had what I think a lot of teenagers suffer from, which was, I felt like I didn't really need to follow the same rules. And I learned a lot from that.
2: I feel like you and I would have been friends, (laughs) Rachel, if we were in high school together. (laughs) <laughs> I was like in chess club. I was all over the place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i so, I think we're both curious about this. I grew up in a really creative way also. Like I, my creativity usually goes into my writing. I think especially as a teenager, there is this weird, not weird, but there's just like this There's like two sides of it where you're so creative and advanced in so many ways. But I remember my experience as a teenager was like, there's this other side of you that's still so naive to the world. And so like, that's kind of where I would get in trouble. And it sounds like your experience was maybe similar to that. Like, did you feel sort of out of place because you felt like you were just one step ahead?
0: I feel like that was mostly just at school because socially, I didn't feel like I was more advanced than the other kids again, challenging things happen in big cities and in small towns. But I also, you have to be a little bit street smart when you live in a big city. And I did have some experiences when I was young that were really forced me to grow up a little bit faster than I think I would have wanted to. But also because I had my innate confidence in power, I was able to really face it and handle it. But there is something about being like, Maybe academically, certain things were too easy for me, but that didn't mean that I was more mature than other mm-hmm. kids my age because I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like I was super interested mm-hmm. in academics. So to have to, I thought I was going to be a professor when I started college. I wanted to just learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, and instead I ended up with a degree in geography, which I use this much, which is zero. <laughs> and uh, a degree in dance which currently i use also zero
2: um yeah it's hard to and i'm not sure if you went to public or private school but i do feel like I, i think there's huge merits to both um in terms of just like your the culture of it like the socialization everything but i do feel like public schools, especially LAUSD, like they have to adhere to this very strict set of standards, which as we know now, it's, you know, kids are not one size fits all, personalities differ, learning styles differ. And it's so interesting because even just for me as an adult, like when I go into work or if I'm training an employee or what have you, it's like every single person, you have to kind of really tailor it to their experience if you expect for anyone to succeed. So totally. I
4: mean,
0: I went to public school, and I was fine. I went to early education at a progressive private school for a few years, and then I went to public school the rest of the way. Managing school was fine for me. Mm -hmm. My brother, who's a different kind of thinker, went to private school for high school, and that was the right fit for him. He needed teachers to work with the way that he thinks, and it was fine, whereas I was like, I'll just do this. And it was fine. And it was a good experience for me. And that was a good experience for him. But it is. I, my youngest, actually, both of my kids are going to be in school next year, but at the same school. But my older son goes to a progressive private elementary school too, which is, and the main reason is because they really can meet each kid where they are. And they, they believe that starting early can give children a foundation for really loving learning, which is more important than reading.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Rather than, for the kids who don't fit into that standard, rather than making them feel like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Um, Absolutely.
1: You mentioned like a few, you know, young experiences that you had that were just sort of like eye openers. Would you mind going into any of them?
0: No, I'm happy to. What I was thinking in in that, in talking about growing up in a big city, Mm was I had an assault when I was 14 at the Santa Monica Third Street Promenade in broad daylight. Oh, my gosh. And nobody helped me. And that was insane. I was walking with a girlfriend, and then all of a sudden I wasn't with her anymore. And she was like, where is she? And I had been pulled into an alley, and I attacked my attacker. And I was 14. I was A child. 14 is a child.
3: Absolutely. And yeah. I
0: need him so hard in the nuts that I popped them. I am sure I broke the man forever. And I came running out and nobody helped me. And I was oh
3: a- my gosh.
0: And I was screaming and there was a man on the ground. And my adrenaline was pumping.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I made it out. And I found a security officer, a security guard, who called a police officer, and we filed a report. And I don't think that they ever caught the guy. Mm -hmm. But thinking about like wanting to have tons of freedom Mm -hmm. and what feels safe as a teenager, and then thinking you're dropping your kid off at the Third Street Promenade, full of thousands of strangers
1: and and police officers officers and everything at two o'clock in the afternoon. As a fourteen-year-old, it's like I feel like those kind of big experiences when you're that young, they build your worldview in a way. So I can imagine. I mean, you've always struck me as such an independent person. You're a free thinker, but I mean, obviously, no one wants any fourteen-year-old to go through that kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. But also, like the independence that it's like you were the one that got yourself out of that situation. I got myself out of it, and I
0: feel like when I think about, I mean, obviously that was it was horrible, Mm -hmm. and I dealt with some trauma around that. But I the main takeaway was I did that. I acted. I can handle myself. And that doesn't mean that then I'm brazen and like walking around in a parking lot at night with like, come on, we're ladies and there's just, we don't do that. Um, We should be able to do that, but we don't do that. But also how I remember thinking that day, wow, I'm glad it was me and not my friend who I was with because my friend who I was with may not have been able to do what I did. And I didn't think twice, I just like became the frickin' Hulk mm-hmm. and I overpowered him, but I was lucky that that was the result. But also I felt really empowered,
4: mm-hmm.
0: proud of myself.
2: Yeah, that's so incredible. I mean, it's terrible and terrifying that that happened to you as a child. And unfortunately, I'm I'm sure that this still happens today in the same types of places to the same same demographic of young women. And that's the terrifying thing. But it does really sound like having that experience was formative in a way that it, it just told you, it informed you of who you were under pressure. And mm-hmm. I wonder, like, do you take that into any other... Not that you want to relive that singular experience, but do you take that as sort of like a badge of like courage and bravery? Like, do you take that mindset with you into other situations that might be challenging?
0: I mean, birth. Yeah. I feel like that's the most physical and powerful opportunity in a mother's life to be able to feel that and experience that and overcome that. And so I feel like always knowing that I was powerful and strong in so many ways, that was my first experience where I had to be like physically powerfully strong. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of other than like big accomplishments, big adventures, uh, big camping trips, hiking trips. Like there's never been anything that has required that much focus, power, exertion energy, strength, like birth, Mm -hmm. which has been the greatest gift of my life, both of my births. And I have them at home and feeling like there's no reason to be fearful. My body knows what it can do. And also I can do this and just, I can do it. I can do it.
1: And knowing that you were, you are made for that. And that as women, we all are in some form or another. And it's, it's interesting too, to kind of see your journey as an entrepreneur through all of this, that, you know, you're, I I feel like from that experience in Santa Monica, it's like, you take away this courage, but also a trust of your own impulses, where as an entrepreneur, just like you were talking about, you're not, not having this need to have for perfection in everything that you do, but just doing and trusting that like in that process, things will keep moving forward. Just like when you start Labor, you know your contractions. Once you're on the train, like it is on the track, yeah, there's no stops. <laughs> just experience. But I can totally relate to that feeling of power, but also surrender to yourself. That it's like I don't need to try so hard because I'm built for this. All right, you guys. We want to take a, a moment to tell you about Rachel Pally. Rachel is obviously a wonderful woman and inspiring designer, um, but her clothes are really like legit. They are the shit. She makes just the most comfortable clothes. I swear to you, you can wear them with sneakers um, and then you can turn around, put heels and a cute like necklace on with them and then literally go out. I've, I've gone straight from learning errands to literally like going to a wedding in one of her beautiful maxi dresses. They're so beautiful and they're so cute. And she is offering a code for our Bridget listeners, Bridget20. If you go to our website, you can get 20% off. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. I've had these dresses for years and years and years. All right. Back to the show. One thing Keisha and I talked about in just preparing the talk with you was um, how interesting your your relationship with dance has been through your life. Obviously, you mentioned that you started as a dancer very early and that you you are a salsa dancer now, which we're like, okay, we need to see a video because that's yes. so fun. Um, but feel I also, free to share. <laughs> I mean, I-,
0: I feel like I have one video of me salsa dancing with my best girlfriend and that is all I have because I'm always there and who's, the gonna, yeah, who's gonna record me. I'm not there. I don't have a phone on, but that's one of those things. Like after COVID, when am I gonna let a stranger touch me and be that close to my face mm-hmm. and like sweat on me, Yeah on me? I hope that that it's the thing I miss the most, mm-hmm. and it's the thing I don't see how I'll be able to reintegrate.
1: Yeah,
0: but, I mean, dance informs my design all the time. That's it's,
1: what I was thinking. I mean, I grew up as a dancer, so you kind of. I feel like once you've danced, you kind of uh, like angles of the body and movement. Like I, one of the things I so immediately appreciated about your clothing was you can tell you understood drapes and cuts and fabrics and comfort. And it, you know, it's, it's easy to wear
2: like how the body moves exactly. like yeah. your, clothes, the your
1: clothes. Don't wear the people that are in them. Like you, you put them yeah. on and it's like, okay. Like this is me accentuating all my, my favorite features and everything your relationship with dance early on because i so i grew up i started with ballet and for me i felt because i wasn't i was kind of a shyer young person dance felt like an opportunity for me to express myself without words so it was wonderful as an outlet but it also came with especially ballet, was like this intense kind of critical energy as well, like everything perfect in lines and you know how you look in the leotard and everything. And I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, it's like, wow, that kind of like put something in me that has always kind of been there. Did you ever have that kind of relationship with dance or was it more of just a free? Because I know you studied modern dance in in college.
0: By the time I kind of had filled out in high school and was no longer in that shape. I didn't ever do anything competitive or serious ballet. So I never had any awareness of how I was supposed to look Mm -hmm. to be a dancer until college. And I auditioned my junior year of college for a program in New York at the Ailey School. Mm -hmm. My program at school was Martha Graham Technique. And also I was in an African dance company in college and then after college in LA, and I was very serious about it because that, to me, felt the most expressive, mm-hmm. creative, vibrant. All of it. I was in love with it, and I had a. I danced with a drum master that I just loved in in Oakland, and I had such a wonderful experience with it. But when I went to audition for the Ailey School, I had an, a perfect audition. I was just like on my game. I just was like, yeah. oh my god, this is meant for me. I was amazing, and. I saw these girls from my program getting accepted who were much less experienced, much less natural movers, just not um, who I would have thought would be accepted. And then I was standing there and I was like, what is happening? And the Ailey director who was doing the auditions said, you're too fat for our program. Oh my gosh. I was like a size eight and I was devastated, but more because it felt so insanely unfair Mm -hmm. to be like, not only do I have like so much experience doing African dance and that's so much part of what they do as modern dancers and feeling like I had the best audition in the room and that I wasn't accepted because I was too fat as like a size eight or a size
3: anything. Yeah
0: really turned me off. Uh, I then went to New York anyway, and I did a program with Paul Taylor Company and Cunningham, and I studied at all these studios, and I had a wonderful time, and it did not matter what size I was. Mm -hmm. The thing that I think I loved about African dance and then modern dance, was not just, not that I loved, but was kind of an interesting thing, was like, in my modern program, I was definitely on the bigger side, and then in my African dance company, they would make fun of me because when I would shake like nothing really (laughs) (laughs) they were like, oh honey, like you're fat but you're not fat enough, it's not enough and it was kind of this interesting experience to be uh, hearing both things at the same time, you're too big, you're not big enough, but uh, for my for the African uh, company, it was not to insult me Mm -hmm. it was to tease me And I had a place there. So I did get into it again when I graduated from college and I danced with a drum master in LA and his wife who was the dancer. And it was so fulfilling and it didn't have to be about how anybody looked. And actually Kevin used to come with me when we were first dating and drum. He would drum and I would dance because he studied African drumming in college.
1: That's like out of a movie.
2: (laughs) I know. I'm <laughs> I'm really happy that this anecdote had a happy ending, though, because when you said, you know, they didn't accept you because they felt like you were too big. I mean, I feel like that would have broken a lot of other girls, especially at that time in their lives. So when that happened, were you just like immediately empowered to go find the next thing because you like? I feel like you have such a vibrant energy about you. Yeah. Or did it trip you up for a little it bit? It tripped
0: me up. I was devastated, but I had to keep going. I then I mean it was like I was still in the middle of my semester. So I still got dressed and put on my leotard and tights, even though I felt insecure and went to class mm-hmm. and but it didn't scar me, but it felt terrible. But it also made me yeah. just hate them. Yeah. It didn't make me feel bad about myself so much as it made me feel like maybe I didn't want to be a dancer mm-hmm.
2: professionally.
0: Yeah. Um, which is
2: also terrible. I mean Yes I'm so glad
0: that I didn't do it. Because I'm I, there's many better dancers out there. I am not that would have been too I don't like competitive like that. Yeah. I don't like it. I like but collaborative.
2: It's, <laughs> which is I mean, collaborative I'm, is is great. But I mean, it's also so cool that within this one set of experiences, like you started with this terrible news, but had like the focus to keep going at least long enough to to get to the point where you're like, oh, wait, here I am in a different setting doing, you know, the same thing that I love to do. And I'm being told the exact opposite information. So it's like, you learn to trust that you can self-regulate and that the outside influences are not what establish your self-confidence. And I just think that's such a great, a great takeaway from that.
1: I think there's such like, there is this transition that's really marked, I think, with a lot of young women where you go from thinking like you want to do something so you will conform yourself to the parameters that that thing gives you. And I remember when I started like modeling, that was very much my experience. It was like, okay, you go on castings and you try to look this way to get hired. And then I just, I I don't have a particular moment when it changed, but I remember distinctly feeling this shift and it was like, no, if someone says no, like, that's not the right job for me or you know and and something's changed and that actually ironically was what started getting me hired all the time was like i'm not going to try to make my runway walk look like this you know moving my arms this way or doing this thing like i'm just going to be me and then people are like oh that's interesting but I, i think that finding that switch can take a long time for a lot of girls and you might have to switch it over and over depending on what you're entering into but i think that like you are such a beautiful example of not feeling like you need to make something for what you're going into, but just just walking into the room as your full self. Also, yeah. I feel like the older I get, the more that's all there is. Mm-hmm. That's all there
0: is. It actually doesn't really matter if I'm what someone is looking for.
3: Mm-hmm. Because
0: I'm not here for someone to be looking for me. Exactly. That's not what it is. That's not what I want to be. And I don't want to be, I think that for things like being a dancer, being a model, you're automatically being judged.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I have a niece and she's, she's about to be nine and she's into dance and, it, and I get worried about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want her to think about how she looks or how her body looks or whether people are watching her. Our culture is so wrapped up in what women should and shouldn't look like, move like, dress like, act like, laugh like, argue like it's not fair. It's not right. And I feel like for my whole life, I've kind of had, of course I've had moments where I'm more swayed by other people, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. It for sure does not get you anywhere. And I mean, it may get you where somewhere in the short term, but even in my brand, the way my brand looks now is very different from the way my brand looked when I first hired Asha. Mm
3: -hmm. It
0: was Mm -hmm. at the time I was doing a whole, lot of, a whole lot of what I wanted to do and a whole lot of what buyers were asking me to do. A whole lot of, I need more of this silhouette. I need more white maxi. I need more floral prints that are in bold colors. I need more. I need more. I need more. And I was like, okay. And I kept doing more and more and more. And I was getting exhausted. I was wasting money. I was wasting energy. I was wasting time. And I don't do that anymore. Because that didn't serve me and it definitely didn't serve me creatively and it definitely didn't end up serving me financially, always having to please other people. And the truth is you can't please everybody and it doesn't really matter if you can't. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It matter. I mean, it's really cool because we were talking about the theme of reinvention, especially within your brand and like what your take on that was because, you know, outwardly, and you'll have to forgive me, I'm ignorant about the fashion industry in so many ways, but I mean- looks and trends and everything change year to year. And you have things that get recycled, you know, maybe like 10 years down the road, but for you to be able to continually reinvent yourself, like tell us a little bit about that process and a little bit, I mean, you've already started to go into, you know, stepping into your own creativity and not leaning so much on what buyers want from you or, you know, not trying to fit so much into like the typical box of like, you know, what others want you to do. But can you tell us more about like how you've just evolved over time and how that's translated into your work?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been in business for 17 years. There's none of us are wearing what we wore 17 years ago because that's just not the nature of fashion. Fashion is changing. It's cyclical, but it's also, you dress for the time, you dress for, I mean, we're all dressing differently during COVID. It's a totally a <laughs> different lifestyle that we're all experiencing. Even though I drove into Hollywood yesterday with my husband and I was like, none of these people are experiencing uh, COVID. Uh, how is this possible? There's an entire city that is literally happening yeah. as though nothing is happening. Who are these people and why do they not have the same anxiety I do? (laughs) But thinking about, it's been interesting, especially now, I think I really started to pivot how I wanted to design after my kids were born. Work takes up so much of your life and I was feeling unmotivated. I wasn't interested in the, I wasn't, I think I noticed it when I realized I wasn't wearing any of my own clothes Mm. ever. And I remember one trade show in New York where I walked to the trade show and then I changed into my samples in the bathroom. And then when I left to go have drinks and dinner, I changed back out of my samples and went out. Like I didn't even like my clothes enough to wear them in public. I don't remember when that was before I had Mm Teo towards the end of my years before I became a mother. And especially now, I only want to wear clothes that I I only want to make clothes I want to wear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to make fewer of them. I think people should purchase fewer things. I think that people should purchase things that they continue to wear. I think people should purchase things that support other people to have a fair wage. And I want them to wear it until it falls apart. I don't believe in consuming short term yeah stuff, just in general and maybe that's cuz i'm older and everything in my house has to be intentional and i just feel like it i end up being able to buy much better things that don't clutter up my house and my life and my closet that i actually wear and i actually love that actually last so the as i started to kind of transition was also along the the, the same time as what I was doing was no longer the trendy thing. So it was kind of good timing. And then for so many years, I've been hoping to make the majority of my business, my direct website business. And, but it was a lot of business to walk away from wholesale, but wholesale has become very unprofitable because you're cutting it. It's always like so many discounts. And if it doesn't sell, you have to take it back and, you know, that you have to do like special tweaks just to make one just so that anthropology will buy it. And then if they don't sell it, you don't hear from them for two years. It's, it's a real nightmare, but also you end up with like selling a pair of overalls to a website that styles them with a bra and stilettos. And they're like, it's not selling. And you're like, that's because you ruined it and (laughs) you can't do anything about it. So my whole goal has been to really develop my own direct to consumer brand. And then COVID happened. And I was already on this path of making clothes that were wearable, washable, easy clothes. You could do life in not clothes. You have to like change, you know, clothes where you can wear it to work and then to drinks and then to dinner and then put it on your chair in your room and wake up and do it again. I already was in that direction And then when COVID happened and having to kind of scale back my offerings and only offer what I want to wear and therefore what I feel like my demographic wants to wear has been incredibly exciting and powerful and empowering and also more financially sound, more profitable. And also it makes my brand relevant for what's happening right now. And what's happening right now is my big oversized jumpsuit with the pockets where I put my my hand sanitizer and like a couple of Legos and a Hot Wheels car and a dog treat. And then I'm good for the day.
1: Yeah, Literally, I'm wearing one of your jumpsuits right now. And that's the thing, like during COVID, I've felt like, why should I purchase any clothes? Because, you know, I I wanna get rid, I've been getting rid of all these things, but the few purchases that I have made, have been Rachel Pally pieces because it's like I I wore this out and about during the day, I can breastfeed my child in it and I have it on at night and I feel good and if I needed to go to dinner if that was a thing I was doing to, tonight mm-hmm. then I would <laughs> wear heels and I could go to dinner in it and it's just it is it's beautiful stuff because I even have some dresses that I literally I remember going to the sample sale after we shot together because I was like this stuff was so cool and Rachel's so just wonderful and I showed up at the sample sale and First, your mom was working behind the counter with you and you guys were so beautiful and like she was so enthusiastic. I was like, I just love this. But I picked up like a few of your dresses and they're they're still they're in my closet. And one of them is like the, one of the straps is about to fall apart. And I'm like, darn, but she lived, a good, life. She lived <laughs> a good life. I
0: mean, I feel like that was 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that making doing what feels the most authentic is always gonna be the most successful.
1: Absolutely. We are always so focused on communication and relationships and how that influences our just our paths and how we see the world. And I love that. And I could sense this even from the beginning of casting with you and everything. I remember meeting Laura. I think you're still working with Laura. But just so that the fact that you hire mostly women, you pay them fairly. Um, can you tell us a little bit? who start with like your working relationships and uh, like your partnership with Laura's, she's your lead designer, right? Yes,
0: that she actually is working for me only on a freelance part-time thing now, because right after COVID, she moved to Northern California. Oh, wow. And I thought, Laura and I will never break up. Yeah. We've been together longer than my husband and I.
1: <laughs> how does that relationship work? Have you guys ever gotten in a big disagreement? Like, how are you different?
0: Laura and I had the most incredible working relationship. I miss her literally every day. It almost feels like like I've had to grieve a death because it happened so suddenly. Where I had to downsize my team. It was the worst day I've ever had. Yeah. Um, almost everybody had been with me for a decade. Oh. And to go from I don't know. The whole business has to close. We didn't know for a a few months what to do. And then Laura got an opportunity to move where her mother-in-law is in Carmel, which is very beautiful and very special to her family. And her mother-in-law is in her 80s. And it's like an opportunity they wouldn't have otherwise had. And also, I wasn't going to need to do any design development for a long time. I had months worth of stock uh, that I got stuck with because stores were closing. I had uh, two seasons already developed, ready to go, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to employ everybody. And that has been the hardest. I know that sounds dramatic, but not having Laura, that day-to-day relationship where someone who was like my person, where I every day could bounce creative ideas off of her, where we laughed and made fun of each other where I would give her sketches and she'd say, honey, that's the cutest sketch I ever saw where it was like, it was clearly so terrible. And she would make fun of my drawings and, and just to have someone where we really got each other. So to go from that to walking up the stairs to empty offices is incredibly depressing. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason I don't go in. I go into the office twice a month almost everybody is working remote except for my shipping
3: mm-hmm.
0: and my production manager. So it's, we went from this like girl gang, to this to all of us kind of on our own and it doesn't have the same collaborative camaraderie and I miss it. I really do. That's the hardest part for me.
2: That had to have been so difficult to just being such an empathetic, like, Good human, which is so clear in all of your business practices, like to have to you know downsize your team, communicating that message, even like, and I'm sure you did it in the most graceful way, but I, I bet it's that was
0: graceful. Like, so you mean hysterically sobbing yeah. and nodding everywhere and sobbing and then throwing up? Yes, it
3: was. Incredibly oh my god,
0: graceful. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was the worst day in my life. I felt like. I needed to protect these incredible people in my life who had devoted so much time for my vision and my company, yeah. and then not even know what was going on and being told everybody has to shut down. You know, I talked to two other designers I know, and one woman was ahead of me in her actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Listen, Rachel, every single day that you have that team, and your business is on hold. It's costing you this much money. Mm-hmm. You hang up the phone with me. You get in the car. You drive downtown, and you do what you know you need to do. And you can put it off, but it won't change anything except it'll change your debt.
1: Yeah. Well, my my husband works, uh, runs bars and restaurants, and it was similar. And it's just like, okay, you have two choices. It's either you have to have these awful conversations where you are, I mean, you're watching the looks on people's faces where they don't know what their next step is going to be, or you have no business to ever employ them again so so, like make your choice and 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 also it wasn't personal and everybody was like everyone was in the same boat which is what is
0: happening we don't know what's happening this is all terrifying and is it going to last two weeks remember
1: when we thought it was a two-week lockdown oh i was like oh by easter we're good (laughs) Um, just to see though like The power and impact that a female friendship and collaboration can have on you personally, on your business, you know, before, during and after interacting with someone and working with someone is such a beautiful thing because I... He- I heard you talking about Laura and I like looking at Kashia's face on the screen. And it's just like, it, it is amazing. Like a-, a woman that you can interact with and you can be different from each other. But in those moments where it's like you might be slowing down, that person can be speeding up and you just kind of keep each other yeah. in harmony. You keep yeah. Just
2: like filling in.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's, I mean, when, even when Laura and I talk on the phone now, it's like neither of us expect to have that same experience ever again. We were beautifully paired, but also as a creative person who's used to having a team, it's a very creatively challenging time right now because I can't go to a museum. I can't go people watch downtown. I can't, Instagram only shows me the same like five accounts over and over and it's nothing is new. Yeah. And, and I don't have people to bounce ideas off of. So where it's been much harder to find where to get creative, like how, where, where my influences are.
1: It must be making, it's one thing to have creative impulses, but then to decide that I'm going to make my creativity, my career and my income, you know, I feel like that can definitely hinder that creativity in and of itself, right? The second you put that on, how have you kind of dealt with that? And obviously it's like finding the outlets to fill yourself back up it's even harder now before
0: covid i was taking a ceramics class first with Kevin and then i booted him <laughs> too much yeah it brought in my mom instead <laughs> um that was really helpful for me because there i was doing something that was only for creativity sake it didn't matter if it was good i would throw a pot squish it throw a pot squish it it's like didn't it didn't matter if what the end product was whereas everything i do for work what the end product is really does matter
3: mm-hmm. and
0: i feel like without now ceramics and without being able to go out dancing and feel that energy or even like that anonymous nobody knows what i do people are looking at me and it felt great because in my real life i don't like when people are looking at me it's like i have to do these instagram stories where i try on the clothes and it's not cuz i want to it's because I don't have anybody else around.
1: They're so cute, by <laughs> the way. I honestly, it, it like it shows it shows the movement of the clothes and everything. I just you're like one of my favorite stories to watch now because you're just so cute in the way you like style everything. I'm like, look at Rachel. It's
0: oh God, I'm such a hand talker. My friend Betsy is always teasing me about how all <laughs> my stories are just like hands moving. But I'm also the cheapest, most available model. I perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. And I think that it does help to, that I'm a person and not, uh, no offense to Asha the model, but that I'm a person that feels more relatable than also like a retouched photograph, you know? Well,
1: there's there's, all, there's a, just stuff in you like the person that you can clearly see consumes their own product. Yes. You know, and, yeah I and mean, i feel like these days there's so many brands out there and i you know i'll get instagram targeted for something and then it's like oh that looks kind of cool but where is this coming from and oh mm-hmm. wait that's in a totally different country and is this like there's such a separation between okay. like the consumer experience and like the creative thought that you know initiated yeah. it that it's nice to see like this is the designer there yeah. she's in her house wearing the it's... clothes that she thought up, and when oh. I order, this is what I'm going to receive, you know, and I can relate to her, so I, I like you have a confidence in purchasing, yeah, like. yeah.
2: It's it's so deliberate and genuine, and I think that in and of itself is just a fresh experience to have, especially right now, where like you said, everything feels really stale when you're going when you're going through like the Instagram algorithm. And you say sweatshirt at like 10 a.m., and by like 12, it's like there's 15 sweatshirt ads. Like so creepy, so crazy, <laughs>
0: so crazy. I I did my first Reels today, which I just mm-hmm. resent. That's I sweet. do not want to do one second more than I already do. And yet for 47,000 or however many thousand followers I have, I sometimes will get 40 likes. So obviously (laughs) what I'm doing is not working for the algorithm. And then I resent that I'm supposed to like get into their new program when like, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've done work. (laughs) I've done work. And I just don't, so I did it today, and then I texted my mom friend Jane, and I was like, "I'm so young and hip, you guys." You're
2: okay, <laughs> Go okay <back> so <laughs> so now, I mean, I know you talk a lot. You you just talked a lot about the things that were kind of taken away from your normal creative routine because of COVID. Do you have you like landed on anything that's helped? you like that you've been able to kind of recreate that feeling yet, or like do you have any? Outlets, maybe things you're doing with your kids.
0: I think that I've just had to kind of turn more inwards. And I feel like instead of designing based on like a trend now, I I picture what I would want to be wearing. Something that I don't already have, but kind of does the, the same thing for me, which is utilitarian, comfortable, washable and has a nice neckline (laughs) those are (laughs) the important things to me so i feel like also kind of diving back into my own archives and seeing where i can get inspiration from my previous inspiration is kind of exciting it's also kind of funny to look back at my old stuff and be like oh my god this is such a different time but also
2: style changes so quickly yeah
0: um yeah
2: you didn't happen to find anything in that box of high school mementos did you
0: I did not. I actually have very few pictures of myself, but I have a lot of pictures of my friends like at prom, if you want to see
3: other people.
1: (laughs) The thing as as a mom now, I was looking through my phone and someone was like, oh, so can you send me, like my agent was like, send me some pictures of you and your baby. And I'm like, I haven't been in any of my own photos for a while. Like I really have to like consciously do that. I feel like sometimes when you, I don't know, there's a new focus. Yeah. Just, well, you've
0: got—you probably have a million pictures of the baby. You just yeah. don't have pictures of you, and I bet you have pictures of your husband with the baby because exactly. you're the one behind the camera.
1: Exactly. Now, with your boys, and especially being around them all the time, how did becoming a mother impact the way you see work? Like them watching you do what you do. How, like, how has that motivated you or made things more easy or difficult?
0: I think that. Well it's interesting because my husband and I share a warehouse and I've been in business like a billion years and Kevin has been a creative director for a million years, but also has a brand called Free and Easy, and it's been the last maybe four years. So he moved into my warehouse space and the kids like literally don't care about me. They're like, Daddy has a warehouse. I'm like, mommy's had it for like 15 years. And they're like, Daddy has um, a forklift. And I'm like, mommy has a forklift. Um, They like don't care because he makes clothes that they can also wear. And it's more like streetwear and skater and he's cool. So they're like, daddy's cool. Um, So it's interesting. They know that I work, but they also interrupt me like 500 billion times more a day than they interrupt Kevin. And my office is a closet right next to their rooms. So it's also... (laughs) more convenient than the studio in the garage where Kevin gets to work with moderate levels of interruption. When my kids were born, when Teo was born, my older one, I lost a lot of interest in work and I just kind of was on cruise control and like shit got bad. Mm -hmm. I was hemorrhaging money. Uh, I had an employee that was like probably skimming off the top. I just didn't care. I wasn't in it. And then when I kind of got back into work, I was like, got to clean this up. And I got more motivated. And then I got pregnant a second time, lost motivation, got back in. Now I'm super motivated, even though I have the most demanding (laughs) kids. (laughs) But I'm so glad that they see me working and that they, um, today Teo came in while I was doing the reels where I was like sweating and like <laughs> angry, and I didn't know how to add the music and he was like this is a musical note icon you can really push it and it might <laughs> it was like terrible uh or I'm like oh my god I can't get on the zoom he's like hang on I'm seven I can get yeah. you on the zoom link but it's nice for them to see he said mama that's so beautiful and oh I- <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's so often, I do appreciate that they see me working and that they see, I mean, he did say the other day, you're just on your phone, like just on your phone. And I was like, I'm not just on my phone. I'm actually answering emails so that I can still be home with you, but I still have work that has to be done during the same hours. And I'm not just trying to be distracted. This is time that I would normally be at my office and you would normally be at school. And so <laughs> I know you'd like my attention, but I also have to focus on my work. And I think that it's important for them to see that.
2: And they know that I
0: love my work and they know that Kevin loves his work. And I think it's really important.
2: That's such an incredible gift too, to give your boys because it's so different from past generations. I mean, just to be able to have that example and to have it be such a free and beautiful one where you, especially now where you have to create new boundaries together and with each other. Yeah, they don't understand my hungry. Hungry. that's <laughs> non-existent here. I haven't peed by myself in 8 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. But they're going to look back in one day and be like, "Oh, I get it now. That's what was happening." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, from everything that you've shared with us, from all of your experiences and all of the changes that this year has brought and that the fashion industry has brought and, you know, all of the reinvention and the, the creativity that you've allowed yourself, especially as you describe in recent years. What would you say is your definition of success as you see it right now?
0: It's definitely not money. Um, I think if this last completely insane year has taught us anything, it's to what's important. And that is not where it's at. I think what makes me feel the most successful right now is that my work really reflects who I am and I feel good about it and I'm proud of it. And that's, there were years where my business did more business and I didn't care and that was not satisfying and I wasn't proud of it. And I mean, I didn't have to worry so much about bills, but it didn't matter. I didn't, I wasn't in it. I feel pretty successful right now.
1: And that's such a beautiful yeah. thing to be able to say, especially in a, a with everything moving around us and so many variables every day. I especially love how you were talking about your son seeing you in that space, like taking up that space for them to see you just not having it be about, oh, how much money we're making or trips are going on or things that we have, but just like I'm doing that something that feels right and true and you're there for them to see it too. I think that I with my like almost 6 month old now it's it's a constant battle because it's it's like okay, how much do I want to be completely present for her every breath but also like continue building things that she'll look back on and and see how hard I worked and how true I was to myself and it's yeah. a constant balancing act because you're for them but you also have to be for you
0: totally. Also, you can't be for them if you're not for you. You first have to put the the mask on yourself before you can put it on anyone else. And that's impossible, actually, in early motherhood. And so, oh well. Yeah. (laughs) As she gets older, making sure that you have that space, even if she's in the room and still taking that space, is going to be what makes you a better mother for
4: her.
1: Again, you guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by Rachel Pally. Rachel's clothes are effortless, timeless, and flattering. They are everything that you need in your staple wardrobe. Rachel's clothes are really built to take you from morning to day to night in comfort, and she's all about just making a woman feel empowered. Rachel is offering a discount to our listeners, Bridget20, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, 20, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, 20 Two zero, we'll get you twenty percent off her website. So go shopping. Back to the show. Should we go through some of our little like rapid fire questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you do first thing in the morning? Like, what are the first thirty minutes of your morning look like?
0: Well, in the middle of all this craziness, I also got us a puppy.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know she's so
0: cute. Five million times clear about him not wanting to take on additional responsibility. And I was still pushy about the dog. So the first thing I do is get the dog outside. <laughs> when I can, I like to do some morning pages, journaling. I like to meditate in the morning, but it's really hard because I swear the second I my foot gets out of bed, one of my children will wake up if I'm planning on meditating. <laughs> the second I sit on the pillow, light a candle someone interrupts me so but that's my intention but it's some mornings just wake up you're just it's straight up hectic from the minute mm-hmm. Luca wakes up Teo is more mellow and he's well he's almost 8 and he likes to get up and take a shower he's like such a big boy but the little one comes in and snuggles with us first thing in the morning unless I can get up before him and get my meditation <laughs> yeah that's that's generally my
2: my morning okay favorite midnight snack or guilty pleasure
0: Let's see. Um, apple and peanut butter would be a good midnight snack or dark chocolate and peanut butter. Something dipped.
3: Yeah.
1: Do that a lot. Love it. <laughs> uh, if you have like one hero, the word hero, who is the first person that comes to mind?
0: Oh my God. I just like have so many, I like had like a flash of all the women in my That's life.
1: Amazing. I love it. Like
0: All, all for all such different reasons. My mom Mm. for just being the most loving, kind, supportive, creative, silly, awesome, adventurous woman. My dad for being an incredible survivor, creative, just he's the has the deepest heart connection. I feel like he and I are so deeply connected in a way that is my mom is my best friend and then my dad is my there's like a heart connection we have that's different. My grandmothers my husband i mean i it's just there's i
2: yeah.
0: i really love loving people
2: oh. me too. i really, I I know, I I really felt you. that i'm like try like, oh. oh my gosh i'm going to cry <laughs> um so and i want to i want to end this on a question that asha actually asked me um what is one thing that you do to help maintain your relationships like what's one thing that helps you like Maintain these relationships that you love and adore so much and keep them thriving
0: I think I just read a headline about how The most important relationships during quarantine are your girlfriends I didn't read the whole article, but it struck something for me that I feel like it's my text chains this daily check-in about minutiae things that aren't always so deep and also about deep spirituality about challenging parental questions, about how to deal with a ailing parent, about everything. I mean, it's just like so deep and so, but also can be so shallow. What yeah. skincare are you using? Have you tried chocolate? And I feel like it serves me in a way that nothing else can right now. And it also feels like, on the flip side, I have to acknowledge that marriage is hard right now, and it's because we have no space from each mm-hmm. other. And that maybe the fact that I have all that space from my girlfriends is what makes me like constantly check in there and need it so much. Whereas it feels like I need to redirect some of that attention to Kevin, but we're also like, oh, you're still here. You're still in this room. Like, oh, we, I am so tired of everybody I live with. It's so hard to be (laughs) together all the time without any space and no creative outlets and no social stuff. And no, it's just, it's really intense. So I think space would be good, but also, you know, I think just being so tuned into the fact that things that are hard for me are hard for everybody right now. That's just really what it is.
1: Well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to just hear your stories. And I mean, anyone that hasn't Experience the Rachel Pally brand, check it out. You will not regret it. And you will probably keep it just like me for 10 years in your closet. But it's just so nice to see the soul and the life behind this brand that has just flourished during this time. And it's just such a treat. So thank you, Rachel. We really appreciate it.
2: Yes. Thank you so much. What a gift to spend the evening with you.
0: Same. Likewise. Real gift. Um,
2: And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time.
1: Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?